Today we're visiting Juanita Stauffer in Alberta, Canada. I'm hoping to meet Juanita in real life when COVID finally allows me to attend the Alberta Piano Teachers Association Conference. But until then, it was such a pleasure to chat with her virtually. I think Juanita's advice about sticking to your policies might hit home for you in a way that this hasn't rung true before. Hello, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, I'm, I'm glad to be here. We like to start with a little game, as you may have expected. And I want you to tell me two lies about yourself. One thing which is true, and I'll try and guess which one is true. Okay, sounds good. This is actually really hard for me, but we'll see if it works. So here's the three things. I play cello in a community orchestra. I have a bachelor of music and winter is my favorite. Okay, which one is true? I'm going to say that winter is your favorite season. No. No. <laughs> my winter. It's been minus 30 here for the last three weeks, so... Yeah, yeah, I just thought you might have picked it out if it was something that was like strange, even though you live. <laughs> so which one was true? Uh, I play cello in a community orchestra. Oh, lovely. If it's I really, were... We just got going again a couple of months ago. So we're really oh, excited. That's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. I love the cello. It's one of my favorite instruments. I always yeah. wish. Wish I'd started someday, maybe. <laughs> okay. Well, it was, I've only been playing for about 10 years. So, you know, you can still do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's a little bit about your life outside teaching, but we want to get to know you a bit more as a teacher. So I want you to imagine that you've been given some free advertising space, but the catch to it is that you can only add your own three words to it. So three adjectives or three words to describe you as a teacher. What would you put and what would represent you? I think that one of the first things that came to mind I don't know how I'd word it exactly, but I'd say friendly, because I think that's important for kids to have someone that's, that's friendly and not mean, <laughs> the old yeah. the old stereotype yeah. of the piano teacher. Organized. I do like to be organized. And the last thing is, it's hard to pick a word that represents this, but to raise musical students, you know, mm. students who are just, I don't want to just push them through the exam system or something like that with kids that will go on to play later on in life, w whatever instrument it may not be piano, but it may be something else. Yep. Yeah, so maybe, maybe not the exact three. I'm not very good at marketing stuff, but you know, the idea. <laughs> no, that's okay. It's not really about marketing. It's just a bit about you as a teacher. That's all. Yeah. That's beautiful. So where did that style of teaching come from what was your own musical upbringing like when did you start lessons what were the lessons like I was five when I started and I remember going into the basement of my teacher's house and I was thinking about it this morning and thought she seemed old she was probably in her 40s but you know because <laughs> now that I did the math I was like oh interesting and in Canada we had a method at that time well I think it's still going it's called the Kelly Kirby kindergarten method so where I remember cutting out pieces of like we had this you had the workbook and you would cut things out and put them in there that you play piano and that was all very exciting for a five-year-old and I stayed with her until I was nine and then we moved across the country and I had about six months off of piano and I think at that point was really when I said okay yeah I do want to keep on going with this and and where it became a lot more studious 
and wanted to really practice and, and do different things. There's probably closer to 10 by the time that happened. So it was a good, a good experience to, to know when you're missing it, then you're like, okay, yes, this is important. I want to do that. So, and then just continue mm -hmm. on through the usual, you know, track of lessons and everything from there through high school. And did you stick with the same teacher from there after the move? Uh, I had the same teacher until I graduated from high school. And then I took a break at a year of Bible school. And then I, let me see how that goes. I had a teacher for a year or two and then we got married and I had, did a little bit of teaching and kind of off and on from then on. So really had a couple of teachers for a longer period and then just little bits here and there with different ones. Bits and pieces. So do you think you were a good student? Do you think you practiced consistently? I think I was a good student in that I was there every week and yeah, definitely practiced. I definitely remember learning my technique three weeks before the exam. So I'm not sure that I was very diligent in those kinds of things, but I enjoyed playing. And so that was fun. I remember practicing after supper and we had a typical bi-level house where you know the piano was in the living room and then there's the kitchen dining room kind of area and if I practiced I didn't have to do dishes but if I played quietly I could hear my parents talking so you know you're, you're kind of listening away like no what are they talking about so I actually tell parents that you know what like if, if you can trade a chore for practicing and the kids think that it's somehow something really special I think it's a great way to get them to practice and they think they're getting out something, you know, it's, it's a good little motivation. Yeah. So that was basically, um, my practicing and, and I liked it. I started playing for church and I started, um, doing, yeah, just a bunch of different things. So I enjoyed music. Yeah. And it sounds yeah. like any teacher would be very happy to have you, even if the technique got left off, I think. <laughs> They'd take, they'd take the consistent practicing of the pieces. <laughs> I, I mean, I have no idea what it's really like, but yeah. <laughs> and that's what it, that's what I remember anyway. Yeah. That's your own, your own perspective on it. Yeah. So yeah. what about your lessons? Was there anything you wish had been included in, in the lessons you took? Did you improvise with your teacher? Did you play yeah. together? That kind of thing. I had a very traditional background in Canada. We have the Royal Conservatory of Music, which I went all the way through, did my RCT later on in it. We have other conservators now that that play around with some other options, but no, I, I definitely did the very traditional route, did theory all the way through, everything like that. I So I, I, I learned improvisation and then learned courting later on as an, well, a young adult, I guess when I started, like I said, playing for church, playing worship bands, stuff like that. But I basically taught myself to do that. But, you know, I must have had a fairly good background in order to be able to do that too. And I think the fact that I did harmony fairly early on, harmony was when I, studying harmony was when the lights started to come on as far as, oh, this is how this works. You know, like I started to realize these are chords wow, they're related to other chords, <laughs> you know? So when you do the theory and the, that light bulb suddenly comes on, that makes a big difference in how you're able to do it. So I must've had a good background and she must've done a good job. Yeah, well, obviously you had a great grounding in theory if you went all the way through the written, yeah. the theory version, as well as the practical grades. 
So yeah. you mentioned it a little bit there, but can you tell us more about when and how you got into teaching yourself? How did that start? I was 16 and I started teaching just a few students. I really only remember one, but I think I had two or three. So, yeah. <laughs> so I did that through probably grade 11 and 12 in high school, something like that. I think I did two or three years and then kind of throughout, did a, you know, a little bit, added a bit more on after we got married, I did more teaching and, and realized at that point that I could actually, um, make a career of it. And so, um, committed to it much more fully. I had a teacher who just basically said, you know, if you get your associateship, your ARCT, that is a professional degree and you can teach with that and you can have it. I can do that. So that's how I got into it. But throughout the years, I've taken a few years off here and there as I had children and my babies were little and then would get back into it. And so I really, I like the flexibility of teaching, being able to manage to my own constraints for that season of life. And so that's been a really good thing for our family as well. Oh, that's fantastic. Can you tell me about a student that changed anything about how you teach or something about the way you do business? It was funny. I was thinking about this because it came up recently in my mind. It wasn't as, at that point, I don't remember thinking, oh, this is going to change my life. But I look back on the little seven-year-old girl who was, I think, the third of three students in the family. Um, and she just had a tough time. They had a hard time practicing, like being organized as a family. But, you know, she just, I just remember she couldn't read. She could not. And I, and as a teacher, I kept kind of doing the same thing over and over. And now I think, oh, if I had only known, you know, to play more games with her, to do um, different activities and things like that, rather than just pointing at the page and saying, let's do C again, you know, that kind of thing. So. I do, I think I got frustrated with that scenario and started to try to learn other ways to teach because I was frustrated with kids and, and my teaching of them. Not, I wasn't frustrated with the kids, but I was frustrated with the ones who didn't quite seem to be able to do what everybody else did. So try to figure out how to approach them in a different way. Yeah, that she's kind of the one that made you finally say something is missing. Like something yeah. is missing. It definitely contributed to it. Yeah, for mm -hmm. sure. So, yeah, so oh, I feel a little sorry for her, but you know, that's <laughs> the way it is. Yeah, well, I feel sorry for most of my first students. I mean, <laughs> we have to start somewhere. Okay, so maybe you look back on that as a mistake. Is there anything else that stands out to you as a mistake in your teaching or something more general? Like for my first several years, I didn't enforce this policy or it could be a teaching thing. And there were definitely times when I would let parents run my business. And so I remember one phone call that I was on for quite a while. And this parent kept trying to get me to do something. I forget what it was exactly. And finally, I thought to myself, this is my business, not yours, you know, and I cut off the phone call. It just basically, I think she went somewhere else. We didn't do anything. And I just thought, no, stop it. <laughs> you can't do that. And I mean, there has to be a certain amount of flexibility in our relationship with the parents that we deal with. but. When you allow other people to dictate to you what your business should look like, I think that that was a mistake that I made probably too often. Yeah, I think it's a mistake almost all of us have made yeah. as well. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So if you could turn back time and talk to yourself when you first started teaching, 
Is there any advice you feel you could give yourself as an early teacher that would actually land? Is there anything you think you could impart to your younger self? Uh, I think there's a couple of aspects to this. One of them is I would just say, have fun. You know, like just encourage teachers to enjoy their students, to enjoy the music and to have fun with it. However, I do look back. I was thinking about one of my very first students when I was 16. I know exactly who it was. And I remember saying, her saying to me often, I can't. And I do remember saying to her, you can, you just need to decide that you can't. And I thought, you know, even at that age, obviously I had, I didn't know what the word growth mindset was or anything like that, but I must've thought about it. The idea that we can change and we can grow if we decide that we can do it. And so when students say, I can't, I said, well, actually you can, let's figure out how you can do that. So I think that my very first year teaching person, I didn't, I didn't know all the words, but I maybe had a little bit about music study can do for students, not just in musical abilities, but also their personal growth as well. Yeah. So you had great great. instincts and it's almost that confidence to know you are, you have something here. You can do this. Yes. So what do you think people outside our industry misunderstand about what we do? I think that one of the things that people seem to, I'm hearing more is parents will say, oh, my student can't make it to the practice time. And I'm like, practice time, this is a lesson. And I'm going to impart my information, my expertise to your child. So I think that sometimes parents don't understand that teachers aren't just opening a book and taking them through it, but we actually do have specific reasons for what we do and there's pedagogy behind it. But I think the teachers have sometimes also done that to themselves because it's also really easy just to open the book and go from one page to the next. And so there's a sense in, um, some people, and I think it's why sometimes parents try to teach their kids themselves is they're like, well, I did piano. I can open the book and show them what's in the book. And it's like, well, no, there's actually a lot more to it than that. That that seems to be the, some of the phraseology I'm hearing from parents sometimes. I'm just thinking, uh, no, 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 <laughs> that's not actually the way it is. Yeah, that's not no. what's happening. I feel like yeah. it's maybe more changing, but I, I do still get some inquiries from parents who say, Oh, I learned piano myself, but I just don't have the time to teach him. And I'm like, no, you don't have the expertise to teach him. The time is not the issue here. But we'll just move along and talk about what lessons really mean. Yeah. So last question then for you. I want you to imagine a teacher out there who is in their own little bubble. They've stumbled across this podcast episode, but they're maybe not connected in other ways and they're feeling like they just don't know if they're doing it right and they're constantly questioning their decisions. What advice could you give that teacher? So I would say the first thing that I thought of is um, use the method book, don't let it use you. So that goes back to what I was just talking about is that we have in some ways as a profession done it to ourselves. A lot of people, I mean, piano teaching is very accessible, you know, like, and, and students are encouraged to start when they're young, but, but if you only ever just go page by page through the method book, I, you're going to be missing a lot for your students. I've been exploring the last few years, music learning theory a little bit more. And I think that especially for a young teacher, I would say explore Gordon, Edwin Gordon's theories behind that and the whole concept of audiation, because I do think it's really important. And if you can incorporate that into your teaching early on, it's only going to make you better. And just remembering too, as a business that 
there's a give and take, you know, like we were talking earlier about parents, not letting a parent dictate my business. But on the other hand, I'm, you know, teachers have really grasped onto this. And this is a good thing that piano teaching is a business. It's not just, you know, it's not just a side gig that you happen to do. But on the other hand, I'm hearing a lot of teachers getting really offended at parents for a lot of things. And I think, don't, just don't. Like recognize that your your families that you deal with, they have a lot of other things in their life. And yeah, some kids are going to be super inspired and they're going to work really hard. And some kids, this is just a half hour a week extra activity that they're exploring what is music all about. And it's part of the same thing they explore in sports and in breeding and all of those kinds of things. So we also need to relax sometimes. So don't let yourself be walked on, but also don't take yourself too seriously. And I guess that is a pretty good human thing to be remembering as well. And I think the final thing that I was thinking about is if you have an opportunity, get a music degree, but not necessarily in performance. You know, maybe you want to look at collaborative playing. Maybe you want to look at pedagogy. There's so much out there now. So especially if you're a very young teacher, getting that experience and working with your own teachers and your, your own profession is a good thing, but maybe explore a lot of, maybe get a, a, a jazz music degree, you know, do something else, like have fun with it and stuff. So those are just some of the things that I thought about kind of just for, for that young teacher. Yeah. yeah. Lots of things to think about. Yeah. I think that's wonderful advice. You know, your comment about, yes, don't let yourself be walked all over or, but also don't, you know, get your back up about things that maybe are just a passing comment from a parent. It makes me think of, have you ever read the book, How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen? Is that familiar to you at all? I, have, I think I've heard of it. I haven't read it. So it's a parenting book, but I read it because I was curious about the behavior aspect. But one of the things they do as a last resort, they say, take action without offense, meaning you just step yes. in and, you know, protect the child, stop them hurting another child or something in their context. But you don't yes. take offense to that. You're just intervening. So this is kind of like that. Take action, meaning protect your policies, protect your time, but without yeah. offense. And you'll have a much better relationship with all of the people around you. When you Absolutely. Do and a more pleasant time all around, I think. <laughs> That's for sure. Oh, well, speaking of a pleasant time, it's been a pleasure spending time with you. Thank you so much for doing this with us. Well, thank you so much for asking. I enjoyed it very much. Thanks for listening. Do you love this show? Then please share your favorite episode with a teacher friend who you think might enjoy it and benefit from it. If you resonated with today's story, then the Vibrant Music Teaching membership is probably a good fit for you too. Find out more at vibrantmusicteaching.com.